Section 19 of Poems of American History, Volume 2, The Revolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patrick Barrett. Chapter 10. The War in the South, Part 2. This brilliant victory restored hope to the patriots of the South, and Cornwallis soon found himself in a dangerous position. He was finally forced to detach Tarleton, with 1,100 men, to attack Daniel Morgan's little army of 900 men, which was threatening his line of communications. On Tarleton's approach, Morgan retreated to a grazing ground known as the Cowpens, near King's Mountain, and here, on January 17, 1781, Tarleton attacked him, only to be completely routed. The Battle of the Cowpens, January 17, 1781 to the cowpens riding proudly, boasting loudly, rebels scorning, Tarleton hurried hot and eager for the fight. From the cowpens, sore confounded on that January morning, Tarleton hurried somewhat faster, fain to save himself by flight. In the morn he scorned us rarely, but he fairly found his error, when his force was made already blows to feel. When his horsemen and his footmen fled in wild and pallid terror, at the leaping of our bullets and the sweeping of our steel. All the day before we fled them, and we led them to pursue us, then at night on Thickety Mountain made our camp. There we lay upon our rifles, slumber quickly coming to us, spite the crackling of our campfires and our sentries' heavy tramp. Morning on the mountain border ranged in order found our forces, ere our scouts announced the coming of the foe. While the hoarfrost lying near us and the distant watercourses gleamed like silver in the sunlight, seemed like silver in their glow. Morgan ranged us there to meet them and to greet them with such favor that they scarce would care to follow us again. In the rear, the Continentals, none were readier nor braver. In the van, with ready rifles, steady, stern, our mountain men. Washington, our trooper peerless, gay and fearless with his forces, waiting panther-like upon the foe to fall. Formed upon the slope behind us, where, on raw-boned country horses, sat the sudden summoned levies brought from Georgia by McCall. Soon we heard a distant drumming, nearer coming, slow advancing. It was then upon the very nick of nine. Soon upon the road from Spartanburg we saw their bayonets glancing, and the morning sunlight playing on their swaying scarlet line. In the distance seen so dimly, they looked grimly coming nearer. There was not about them fearful, after all, until some one near me spoke in voice, then falling water clearer. Tarleton's quarter is the sword-blade. Tarleton's mercy is the ball. Then the memory came unto me, heavy, gloomy, of my brother, who was slain while asking quarter at their hand. Of that morning when was driven forth my sister and my mother from our cabin in the valley by the spoilers of the land. I remembered of my brother slain, my mother spurned and beaten, of my sister in her beauty brought to shame, of the wretch's jeers and laughter as from mud-sill up to rafter of the stripped and plundered cabin leapt the fierce, consuming flame. But that memory had no power there in that hour there to depress me, no, it stirred within my spirit fiercer ire, and I gripped my sword-hilt firmer, and my arm and heart grew stronger, 
and I longed to meet the wronger on the sea of steel and fire. On they came, our might disdaining, where the raining bullets leaden pattered fast from scattered rifles on each wing. Here and there went down a foeman, and the ground began to redden, and they drew them back a moment like the tiger ere his spring. Then said Morgan, ball and powder kill much prouder men than George's, on your rifles and a careful aim rely. They were trained in many battles, we in workshops, fields, and forges, but we have our homes to fight for, and we do not fear to die. Though our leader's words we cheered not, yet we feared not, we awaited. Strong of heart, the threatened onset, and it came. Up the sloping hillside swiftly rushed the foe so fiercely hated. On they came with gleaming bayonet mid the cannon's smoke and flame. At their head rode Tarleton proudly, ringing loudly o'er the yelling. Of his men we heard his voice's brazen tone. With his dark eyes flashing fiercely, and his somber features telling in their look the pride that filled him as the champion of the throne. On they pressed, when sudden flashing, ringing, crashing, came the firing of our forward line upon their close-set ranks. Then, at coming of their steel, which moved with steadiness untiring, fled our mountaineers, reforming in good order on our flanks. Then the combat's raging anger, din and clangor, round and o'er us, filled the forest, stirred the air, and shook the ground. Charged with thunder-tramp the horsemen, while their sabres shone before us, gleaming lightly, stemming brightly through the smoky cloud around. Through the pines and oaks resounding, madly bounding from the mountain, leapt the rattle of the battle and the roar. Fierce the hand-to-hand -hand engaging, and the human freshet raging, of the surging current urging past a dark and bloody shore. Soon the course of fight was altered, soon they faltered at the leaden storm that smote them, and we saw their center swerve. Tarleton's eye flashed fierce in anger, Tarleton's face began to redden. Tarleton gave the closing order, bring to action the reserve. Up the slope his legion thundered, full three hundred fiercely spurring. Cheering lustily, they fell upon our ranks, and their worn and wearied comrades, at the sound so spirit-stirring, felt a thrill of hope and courage pass along their shattered ranks. By the wind the smoke-cloud lifted, lightly drifted to the norward, and displayed in all their pride the scarlet foe. We beheld them with a steady tramp and fearless moving forward, with their banners proudly waving and their bayonets leveled low. Morgan gave his order clearly, fall back nearly to the border of the hill and let the enemy come nigher. Oh, they thought we had retreated, and they charged in fierce disorder when out rang the voice of Howard, to the right, about, face, fire. Then upon our very wheeling came the peeling of our volley, and our balls made red a pathway down the hill. Broke the foe and shrank and cowered, rang again the voice of Howard, give the hireling dogs the bayonet, and we did it with a will. In the meanwhile, one red-coat troop, unnoted, riding faster than their comrades on our rear in fury bore. But the light horse led by Washington soon brought it to disaster, for they shattered it and scattered it and smote it fast and sore. Like a herd of startled cattle from the battlefield we drove them, in disorder down the mill-gap road they fled. Tarleton led them in the racing, fast he fled before our chasing, and he stopped not for the dying, and he stayed not for the dead. Down the mill-gap road they scurried, and they hurried with such fleetness we had never seen such running in our lives. 
ran they swifter than of seeking homes to taste domestic sweetness, having many years been parted from their children and their wives. Ah, for some no wife to meet them, child to greet them, friend to shield them, to their home or ocean never sailing back. After them the red avengers, bitter hate for death had sealed them, yelped the dark and red-eyed sleuth-hound unrelenting on their track. In their midst I saw one trooper, and around his waist I noted tied a simple silken scarf of blue and white. When my vision grasped it clearly to my hatred I devoted him from all the hireling wretches who were mingled there in flight. For that token in the summer had been from our cabin taken by the robber hands of wrongers of my kin. T'was my sister's. For the moment things around me were forsaken, I was blind to fleeing foemen, I was deaf to battle's din. Olden comrades round me lying dead or dying were unheeded, vain to me they looked for succor in their need. O'er the courses of the soldiers through the gory pools I speeded, driving rowel deep my spurs within my madly bounding steed. As I came he turned, and staring at my glaring eyes he shivered, Pallid fear went quickly o'er his features grim. As he grasped his sword in terror, every nerve within him quivered, for his guilty spirit told him why I solely sought for him. Though the smoke I dealt he parried, onward carried, down I bore him, horse and rider down together went the twain. Quarter, he, that scarf had doomed him, stood a son and brother o'er him down through plume and brass and leather went my sabre to the brain ha no music like that crushing through the skull bone to the brain thomas dunn english tarleton's defeat deprived cornwallis of nearly a third of his forces and his situation became more desperate than ever he kept on across North Carolina and engaged Green in an indecisive action at Guilford Courthouse on March 15th, and then retreated to Wilmington. Green, with splendid strategy, started at once for South Carolina, captured nearly all the forts there in British hands, and on September 8th fell upon the British at Utah Springs, compelling them to retreat to Charleston. The Battle of Utah, September 8th, 1781 Hark, tis the voice of the mountain, and it speaks to our heart in its pride, as it tells of the bearing of heroes who compassed its summits and died. How they gathered to strife as the eagles when the foemen had clambered the height, how with scent keen and eager as beagles they hunted him down for the fight. Hark, through the gorge of the valley, tis the bugle that tells of the foe. Our own quickly sounds for the rally, and we snatch down the rifle and go. As the hunter who hears of the panther each arms him and leaps to his steed, Rides forth through the desolate anter with his knife and his rifle at need. From a thousand deep gorges they gather, from the cot lowly perched by the rill, The cabin half hid in the heather, neath the crag which the eagle keeps still. Each lonely at first in his roaming till the veil to the sight opens fair, And he sees the low cot through the gloaming when his bugle gives tongue to the air. Thus a thousand brave hunters assemble for the hunt of the insolent foe, and soon shall his myrmidons tremble neath the shock of the thunderbolt's blow. Down the lone heights now they wind together, as the mountain brooks flow to the vale, and now, as they group on the heather, the keen scout delivers his tale. The British, the Tories are on us, and now is the moment to prove to the women whose virtues have won us that our virtues are worthy their love. 
They have swept the vast valleys below us with fire to the hills from the sea. And here would they seek to o'erthrow us in a realm which our eagle makes free. No war council suffered to trifle with the hours devote to the deed. Swift followed the grasp of the rifle, swift followed the bound to the steed. And soon to the eyes of our yeomen, all panting with rage at the sight, gleamed the long wavy tents of the foeman as he lay in his camp on the height. Grim dashed they away as they bounded, the hunters to hem in the prey, and with Deckard's long rifles surrounded, then the British rose fast to the fray. And never with arms of more vigor did their bayonets press through the strife, where with every swift pull of the trigger the sharpshooters dashed out a life. T'was the meeting of eagles and lions, t'was the rushing of tempests and waves, insolent triumph gainst patriot defiance, born freemen gainst sycophant slaves. Scotch Ferguson sounding his whistle as from danger to danger he flies, feels the moral that lies in Scotch thistle, with its touch me who dare, and he dies. An hour and the battle is over, the eagles are rending the prey, the serpents seek flight into cover, but the terror still stands in the way, more dreadful the doom that on treason avenges the wrongs of the state, and the oak tree for many a season bears fruits for the vultures of fate. William Gilmore Sims Utah Springs, to the memory of the brave Americans under General Green in South Carolina, who fell in the action of September 8th, 1781, at Utah Springs. At Utah Springs the valiant died, their limbs with dust are covered o'er. Weep on, ye springs, your fearful tide, how many heroes are no more. If in this wreck of ruin they can yet be thought to claim a tear, O oh, smite thy gentle breast, and say, The friends of freedom slumber here. Thou who shalt trace this bloody plain, If goodness rules thy generous breast, Sigh for the wasted rural rain, Sigh for the shepherds sunk to rest. Stranger, their humble graves adorn, You too may fall and ask a tear, Tis not the beauty of the morn That proves the evening shall be clear. They saw their injured country's woe, The flaming town, the wasted field, Then rushed to meet the insulting foe, They took the spear, but left the shield. Led by thy conquering genius green, The Britons they compelled to fly, None distant viewed the fatal plain, None grieved in such a cause to die. But like the Parthians, famed of old, Who flying still their arrows threw, Those routed Britons, full as bold, Retreated and retreating slew. Now rest in peace, our patriot band, Though far from nature's limits thrown, We trust they find a happier land, A brighter sunshine of their own. Philip Freneau Cornwallis, meanwhile, had marched off toward Virginia, Reaching Petersburg on May 20th, 1781, Joining the British forces there and raising his army to 5,000 men. He marched down the peninsula and established himself at Yorktown, adding the garrison of Portsmouth to his army so that it numbered over 7,000 men. The Dance Cornwallis led a country dance. The like was never seen, sir. Much retrograde and much advance, and all with General Green, sir. They rambled up and rambled down, joined hands, then off they run, sir. Our General Green to Charlestown, the Earl to Wilmington, sir. Green in the south then danced a set and got a mighty name, sir. 
Cornwallis jigged with young Fayette, but suffered in his fame, sir. Then down he figured to the shore, most like a lordly dancer, and on his courtly honor swore he would no more advance, sir. Quoth he, my guards are weary grown with footing country dances. They never at St. James shone at capers, kicks, or prances. Though men so gallant ne'er were seen while sauntering on parade, sir, or wriggling o'er the park's smooth green, or at a masquerade, sir. Yet are red heels and long lace skirts for stumps and briars meet, sir? Or stand they chance with hunting shirts, or hardy veteran feet, sir? Now housed in York, he challenged all, at minuet or a la monde, and lessons for a courtly ball his guards by day and night conned. This challenge known, full soon there came a set who had the bon ton, de Grasse and Rochambeau, whose fame fut brilliant pour un long temps. And Washington, Columbia's son, whom easy nature taught, sir, that grace which can't by pains be won, or Plutus' gold be bought, sir. Now hand in hand they circle round this ever-dancing peer, sir. Their gentle movements soon confound the earl as they draw near, sir. His music soon forgets to play. His feet can move no more, sir. And all his bands now curse the day they jigged to our shore, sir. Now Tories all, what can ye say? Come, is this not a griper, that while your hopes are danced away, tis you must pay the piper? Here an unexpected factor entered upon the scene. A magnificent French fleet under Count de Grasse had sailed for the Chesapeake, and Washington, with a daring worthy of Caesar or Napoleon, decided to transfer his army from the Hudson to Virginia and overwhelm Cornwallis. On August 19th, Washington's army crossed the Hudson at King's Ferry and started on its 400-mile march. On September 18th, it appeared before Yorktown. The French squadron was already on the scene, and Cornwallis was in the trap. There was no escape. On October 17th, he hoisted the white flag, and two days later the British army, over 7,000 in number, laid down its arms. Cornwallis's Surrender October 19, 1781 When British troops first landed here, with Howe commander o'er them, they thought they'd make us quake for fear and carry all before them. With thirty thousand men or more, and she without assistance, America must needs give o'er and make no more resistance. But Washington, her glorious son, of British hosts the terror, soon by repeated overthrows convinced them of their error, let Princeton and let Trenton tell what gallant deeds he's done, sir, and Monmouth's plains where hundreds fell, and thousands more have run, sir. Cornwallis, too, when he approached Virginia's old dominion, thought he would soon her conqueror be, and so was North's opinion. From state to state with rapid stride his troops had marched before, sir, till quite elate with martial pride he thought all dangers o'er, sir. But our allies, to his surprise, the Chesapeake had entered, and now too late he cursed his fate and wished he never had ventured. For Washington no sooner knew the visit he had paid her than to his parent state he flew to crush the bold invader. When he sat down before the town, his lordship soon surrendered. His martial pride he laid aside and cased the British standard. Gods, how this stroke will North provoke, and all his thoughts confuse, sir, and how the peers will hang their ears when first they hear the news, sir. Be peace, the glorious end of war, by this event effected, and be the name of Washington to latest times respected. 
then let us toast America, and France in union with her, and may Great Britain rue the day her hostile bands came hither. The Surrender of Cornwallis Come, all ye bold Americans, to you the truth I tell. Tis of a sad disaster which late on Britain fell. Twas near the height of old Yorktown where cannons loud did roar, a summon to Cornwallis to fight or else give o'er. A summons to surrender was sent unto the Lord, which made him feel like poor Burgoyne and quickly draw his sword, saying, Must I give o'er those glittering troops, those ships and armies too, and yield to General Washington and his brave noble crew? A council to surrender this Lord did then command, what say you, my brave heroes, to yield you must depend? Don't you hear the bombshells flying, boys, and the thundering cannons roar? De Grasse is in the harbor, and Washington's on shore. Twas on the 19th of October, in the year of 81, Cornwallis did surrender to General Washington. Six thousand chosen British troops marched out and grounded arms. Huzzah, ye bold Americans, for now sweet music charms. Six thousand chosen British troops to Washington resigned, besides some thousand Hessians that could not stay behind. Both refugees and Tories all, when the devil gets his due. Oh, now we have got thousands, boys, but then we should have few. Unto New York this lord has gone, surrendering, you see, and for to write these doleful lines unto his majesty. For to contradict those lines which he before had sent, that he and his brave British crew were conquerors where they went. Here's a health to General Washington and his brave noble crew, likewise unto de Grasse and all that liberty pursue. May they scourge these bloody tyrants all from our Yankee shore, and with the arms of freedom cause the wars they all are o'er. Early on a dark morning of the fourth week in October, an honest old German slowly pacing the streets of Philadelphia on his night watch began shouting, Bash drie o'clock und governalisch is taikend. And light sleepers sprang out of bed and threw up their windows. The whole country burst into jubilation at the news, and every village green was ablaze with bonfires. News from Yorktown, October 1781 Past two o'clock and Cornwallis is taken, how the voice rolled down the street, till the silence rang and echoed with the stir of hurrying feet. In the hush of the Quaker city, as the night drew on to morn, how it startled the troubled sleepers like the cry for a man-child born. Past two o'clock and Cornwallis is taken, how they gathered man and maid, hear the child with a heart for the flintlock, there the trembling grandsire stayed. From the stateliest homes of the city, from the hovels that love might scorn, how they followed that ringing summons like the cry for a king's heir born. Past two o'clock and Cornwallis is taken, I can see the quick lights flare, see the glad wild face at the window, half dumb in a breathless stare. In the pause of an hour portentous, in the gloom of a hope forlorn, how it throbbed to the star-deep heavens like the cry for a nation born. Past two o'clock and Cornwallis is taken. How the message is sped and gone to the farm and the town and the forest till the world was one vast dawn. To distant and slave-sunk races bowed down in their chains that morn. 
how it swept on the winds of heaven like a cry for God's justice born. Lewis Worthington Smith An Ancient Prophecy Written Soon After the Surrender of Cornwallis When a certain great king, whose initial is G, forces stamps upon paper and folks to drink tea, when these folks burn his tea and stamped paper like stubble, you may guess that this king is then coming to trouble. But when a petition he treads under feet and sends over the ocean an army and fleet, when that army, half-famished and frantic with rage, is cooped up with a leader whose name rhymes to cage, when that leader goes home dejected and sad, you may then be assured the king's prospects are bad. But when B and C with their armies are taken, this king will do well if he saves his own bacon. In the year 1782, a stroke he shall get that will make him look blue, and soon, very soon, shall the season arrive, when Nebuchadnezzar to pasture shall drive. In the year 83 the affair will be over, and he shall eat turnips that grow in Hanover. The face of the lion will then become pale. He shall yield fifteen teeth and be sheared of his tail. O king, my dear king, you shall be very sore. From the stars and the stripes you will mercy implore, and your lion shall growl, but hardly bite more. Philip Freneau End of section 19